From the Zimmerman Symphony Center in Canton, Ohio, this is Orchestrating Change. I'm Matthew Jenkins Yaroshevitz, Associate Conductor of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. And I'm Rachel Hegemeyer, Manager of Education and Community Engagement. Welcome to our podcast, and thank you for joining us. This podcast will navigate the issues that exist in the field of classical music and the world at large. We invite you to listen with open ears as our guests share their experience as underrepresented professionals in the music industry. We are joined today by internationally renowned pianist Shui Wang. She performs extensively as both a soloist and chamber musician, including an appearance with the Canton Symphony Orchestra in 2009 as the soloist on Bach's Fifth Brandenburg Concerto. She has also joined us a number of times as an orchestral pianist. She is currently on faculty at the Cleveland Institute of Music and spends her summers teaching at Interlochen in Michigan. She is an alumna of both institutions, having received her high school diploma at the Interlochen Arts Academy and all of her post-secondary training up to and including her Doctor of Musical Arts degree at CIM. Shui Wang, welcome to Orchestrating Change. Thank you so much for the warm welcome and thank you for having me. And I'm so excited um, to meeting you both and uh, talk about music. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. yeah, thank you so much for being with us today. Um, uh, you are uh, one of our few guests who was not born in America. We've had I only one other, right? Dr. Ana Brantes. Exactly. Um, so you're in a minority there, but can you tell us a little bit about your uh, childhood growing up in mainland China and what brought you to America? Sure, absolutely. Um, yes, I went to um, Interlaken when I was 14. And my childhood, actually, I have to say, uh, always, in, uh, always connected to music and art. I grew up in a conservatory. Um, my father actually is also a musician, um, but he taught um, the Chinese tradition, traditional instrument, Arhu at the conservatory, but also worked at the music library at the Tianjin Conservatory, which is very close to Beijing up north. Um, so when I was about four or five, um, of course, you know, we lived basically all our neighbors were musicians, you know, violinists, cellists, brass instruments. Um, so my father always wished uh, for me to be a violinist because his best friend was a violin faculty at the conservatory. And my mom is uh, always loved the sound of cello and also a good sort of family friend who is a cello faculty. But me, I just loved piano. Um, my One of my uh, really good friend when I grew up, um, she always took, she's a couple years older, so she took a piano when she was maybe four. So I remember, uh, picking up, you know, uh, outside of her, her door and watching her taking lessons. And I just love the sound of piano. And I actually went up to the faculty, uh, her teacher, Chen Lao Shi, we call her, 
um, fact, uh, instructor, and I asked her, I called her Grandma Chen, you know, because <laughs> so, I didn't know what Chen Nai Nai. I said, um, I just say all out, can you teach me piano? And then she's like, who are you, this kid? <laughs> uh, so, uh, and then she's like, you know, tell me, well, you have to ask your parent first. And then I knew, you know, she probably rejected me right there. And then I just said, oh, well, fine then. <laughs> so, um, but then of course they, my parents have spoken and I began my piano instruction um, with her since I was five, pretty much all the way until I left her um, to when before I went to studying in Michigan. And until this day, every time when I go back to China concertizing, I always have to stop and, you know, to visit her. Mm -hmm. I performed for her, dedicated my first concert going back to China first time um, for her. And um, she's sort of like my godmother now. Um, mm -hmm. Very close relationship. Um, so yes, um, that really just because I think in some ways, because I grew up in a music uh, environment, uh, always, um, you know, my brother is artist, uh, visual artist. So um, music and art is always sort of part of our um, identity, uh, our blood. Um, mm. We we go to con I go to concerts all the time when I was young. Um, I started music theory when I was six. You know, it, that just seems like a natural thing um, <laughs> for us to do. Um, probably compared to some other children, you know, who didn't have that kind of uh, easy access like I did. Um, but I had maybe around, uh, yeah, so sixth, seventh grade, um, my, our family friend who was the cellist that I mentioned, um, she, uh, she actually knows uh, another family who studied um, at Interlaken. And at that point, uh, there was a really, well-known piano, Russian piano teacher, um, really difficult, uh, you know, really hard teacher, but produced just tremendous, uh, great pianists from her studio. So they recommended my fam, my parents, you know, I think Shui is great, but it's time for her to step out and, uh, learn more, um, you know, excel farther, um, but at that point, you know, that was in the 90s, <laughs> uh, you know, plane ticket, it was almost, gosh, my parents, like monthly income, you know, that kind of wow. it just is so expensive. And thinking about school, study abroad, um, you know, what, what how, nobody knew, um, but all my parents knew was this is a life, one, once a lifetime uh, opportunity for me. So they saved up the money. Uh, of course, I, I sent in a cassette tape back then. <laughs> um, luckily, um, the teacher really loved my playing and I was able to get full scholarship. Um, so, but my parents saved up the money and bought a one-way ticket. Um, so I packed up three huge suitcases. remember you know, two backpacks and three suitcases, you know, at that time, you know, when you're 13, 14, you, you just knew, okay, I'm going to study and work really hard. Um, 
but I never knew what was gonna be, you know, living there or anything like that. No, I, I didn't think about that. Um, and I never knew I was I was not gonna come back to visit my family until ten years later. Oh my god! Wow. So I really? did not see my my brother until basically when he got married. Um, wow. Ten years later, after so it was ten years before I went back to China for the first time. Um, oh my goodness. Yeah. So <laughs> I think it's yeah music and um, just to to be a you know this opportunity really um, life changing opportunity for me so my wow. parents really did everything um, wow. so yeah. you arrived at interlochen this uh very very well known and extremely highly regarded yes. uh, both as the summer camp but also of course the school the, the arts yes. academy uh yes. as you attended tell us a little bit about what it's like to be a student at Interlochen, as well as some of the differences that you noticed coming here between the way things were done back home for you in China and the way things mm -hmm. are done here. Yes, absolutely. Um, I do, until this day, I'm so grateful for my parents and everyone I've met uh, throughout my life who especially helped me so much during the four years when I was at Interlochen. Uh, it's probably the best four years of my life. Um, I didn't worry too much except just practice, study, um, and perform. Um, so yes, uh, it's a definitely unique place. Everyone who went there has basically one thought or one goal is to become better musician, become better artist, dancers, whichever the pursuit that they were there for. Um, it, it's such a well-organized uh, institution that, and also the people, the teachers, especially faculty, it's, it's like a big family. Um, I just loved everything, everybody, and I'm so grateful that I teach there during the summer now because I feel like every summer I go home again. That's my feeling is going back home. Um, yeah, and and it's, just, it's about support and it's about uh, nourishment um, between the faculty and the teacher, I mean, faculty and the student and also between the students, you know, the upperclassmen, and especially as a freshman, I remember there were a couple, like, older students, juniors and seniors, slowly, of course, not at the very beginning, but slowly really opened up to me and just with a big, huge open arms and, you know, teach me about, obviously, language, but about, about music, about chamber music, because that's the thing about even back then, there were some international performances, performer to China, but it was still pretty closed up. Um, there's not many, you know, traveling between East and West. Um, so all I had was CDs maybe to, to listen to or articles to read about um, Western music. So really to see 
firsthand um, how it's supposed to be done and everything. It was really incredible. Um, and just, again, the opportunities that school has given me um, because they're, they're all about outreach also. Um, so the students always had an opportunity to play for the uh, nearby schools or um, people. Um, yeah, it, it was just incredible four years for me. <laughs> so how about uh, the biggest differences between China and America? When you came to Interlochen, <laughs> what were some of the things you noticed? Uh, well, I, I mean, that obviously doesn't belong to, maybe not relate too much to music first, but the biggest was, um, you know, individual. Everybody, it's about, you know, their personal space. I remember learning about personal space. <laughs> <laughs> I was, <laughs> you know, I mean, gosh, I grew up with, you know, I live in a apartment uh, all my life and it's all about everybody knowing everyone nearby and uh i mean the walls are so thin you can sometimes even hear you know <laughs> their conversations or so that's you know i can hear everybody who's practicing who's not practicing but here uh it's about personal space uh I, that that was the first really sort of a culture difference for me mm -hmm. to really respect so-called uh, respect the personal space um and uh but I do have to say, I, I felt lucky. I, I, I still do feel very grateful and lucky that um, I didn't feel left out in any ways, um, even though it was probably the first three months was the hardest three months of my life. Yeah. I didn't speak much English when I first arrived. Um, so, I, and I was the only Chinese from the mainland China during that year. Um, there were some upperclassmen who were from Taiwan and Hong Kong. Mm. You know, but th there were still a little differences. So right. they didn't really approach me much at the beginning. So I felt pretty lonely. Mm. But it was my roommate. <laughs> a, uh, a mixed uh, Jan yeah, Japanese American from Hawaii. Uh, <laughs> she was, and she was a singer, and uh, she just really said, "Shrey, you gotta come and hang out with us." And you know, so I, but I, I didn't know what they were talking about. But I just felt at least, you know, being included. So I, you know, in many ways, I feel yeah. I, I always felt, and everyone there always just always support what I needed, um, you know, cook for us, especially for the people who didn't have the home to go during the holiday time. Mm. Yeah, everything about it, it was such a warm place. And yeah. But that, yeah, I think that that's so cool that um, so I've been to China before. Um, yes. And I think probably the biggest difference I noticed was the fact that Americans are so individualistic and everything is about you and your goals. And then if you go to China, it is very much about the whole and the society and the family. And yes. also there is a difference in personal space. <laughs> and I noticed that. So I think it's interesting that you point that out. 
Um, yeah. 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 Very, very cool. I loved China, though, when I was there. Um, and yeah. um, there was this huge difference between, even today, a difference between Hong Kong and mainland China. Very different in the way things um, are approached. Yes. But yes. you, so you being a young immigrant, not speaking English really, um, and you've, but you still felt nourished and supported, which I think is really, really wonderful. Did being a full-time music student at such a young age, do you feel like that motivated you and inspired you? Or did you ever feel, because I think that's a unique experience. I did not grow up as a full-time music student at all, even though yeah. I decided to go to conservatory for my uh, you know, bachelor's degree. Sure. Did that ever feel like too much pressure to you as a young person? Um, I, I have to say for me personal, personally, I, I didn't feel pressured, mm -hmm. um, uh, during the years when I was at, uh, Interlaken and also my undergrad, um, the piano department specifically was really strong, yeah. but, um, uh, it was a healthy competition between the pianists. We were actually all friends. Good. between the studios and we you know we hang out together and we play for each other but in a very sort of supportive way you know hey can you listen to me and give me some suggestions mm -hmm. um because you can always learn because they're from different studio and they play slightly differently you know you can always learn from each other um so in that way um yes i mean definitely um, and to go back to, uh, you know, the differences, uh, between the, the sort of the Western and Asian culture difference. Yes. Uh, this idea of individualism, yeah. I'm sure we always think, you know, the, the kids from China always practice eight hours a day <laughs> and they're great facilities, but I, I know even for me, when I was so young, I was missing that individual uh, style mm. um, because, again, we didn't have, at least when I grew up, I didn't have a lot of sources what, uh, you know, what was supposed to be done in this style of music. We were almost sort of a copying or trying to understand. Um, and after I studied here in America, I realize it's not just about obviously having great facilities um but it's about um really deep understanding what music really is um uh, or what it says to you um how does it feel to you um what does it makes you you know think when you play this this passages you know it's that kind of idea that I never really thought too much when I studied in China, mm -hmm. and that really opened up um, my horizon after I studied here. And also to, you know, chamber music, gosh, again, another form of music we hardly have had the opportunity of in, in Asia, um, not much of a chamber music uh, teaching there much at all. So. Um, yeah, so it's this sort of um, emphasize on individualism that I I think it's, that's the good thing I really 
learned a lot after I studied here in in America. Yeah. Absolutely. So we have spent a lot of this podcast talking about underrepresented minorities in the classical music profession. And uh, there is actually a good deal of East Asian representation, especially on the orchestra stage. Mm -hmm. Uh, You see a lot of people of East Asian descent on our stages. Tell us, what is it about the East Asian culture that is draws the people of China, Japan, that and that part of the world to Western classical music. Yeah, actually, I I was thinking, you know, something along the line, um, especially in the last, I would say, 15, 20 years. Yeah. Um, I mean, just CIM alone, you know, when I was just first came, there's only maybe 20 students that were from Asia, just in Asia in in general. Now, my goodness, it's like almost one third Mm -hmm. of student body, I would say, um, is Asian. So yes, absolutely. Uh, I think definitely the more easy accessible like international travel that has really opened up mm-hmm. between east and west that i would say one of the factors that it's easier especially for for, for students from china um you know for example the last uh president we had uh granted a 10-year uh, visa uh, so it, it was much easier to get a visa to study here in, in America. So that was one thing I would say why you, we would start to see more, you know, just more, you know, easy accessible for families to send their children, find you know, to study here and, or work here. And also, you know, actually really in Asia, we were taught um, traditional instrument and Western instruments side by side. Mm. So, for example, my father is a, a, a you know an instructor of uh, Chinese instrument, and so it's at a conservatory. So they they're all being taught together, um, but it is the family sees as perhaps more opportunities for employment or sees farther with a, a Western instrument mm. more than the the traditional instrument. Um, so for that also, I would say um, why we see more uh, perhaps Asian uh, musicians um, nowadays. Um, it's just more opportunities um, with, with that um, and study or work uh, abroad. Yeah. And so you've mentioned conservatories a couple of times and I want to, because I don't understand, um, are you talking about studying music kind of the pre-university age in like your uh, younger years at conservatory in China? Or are you Um, talking more like the university conservatory, like what we would think of in America? 
yeah, it's the the university. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Gotcha. Yeah. So when when thinking about uh, you know conservatories in America versus China, uh, mm-hmm. I, an obvious reason that you just brought up is that international travel has become easier, which is why we're starting to see more um, sure. people from around the world uh, studying sure. in America and playing in America. Uh, sure. What is there something appealing about studying in America within Chinese culture that brings people here, or is it actually like a small population of of students who actually end up studying in America? Um, good question. Um, I would say, um, first of all, I think still, um, always has been, and still at this day, America is, uh, or America has the best music education, I think, in the world. Um, we have so many great music schools here, and all the wonderful European descents who taught at the greatest conservatories are here. Um, and um, of course in Europe, some too, but there just seems to be so much more concentrated here in America. You know, we have just CIM, Juilliard, all the great, you know, top um, Curtis, NEC, you know, things like that. Um, and they're just all wonderful amazing uh, pedagogues um, that are here in America. So I think because of that, for sure, why I think not just China, really Japanese, uh, Korean, especially Korean, Mm -hmm. so many Korean, great (laughs) Korean uh, students um, come here to study in America. Um, I think it's just for the one idea is to pursue the best education um for music um possible yeah so i think that's one one thing why one one way that was we see so many of just and there are so many opportunities here too um that they may not have such opportunity in their own country Mm. Um, i think every time i you know talk with someone about this topic i i realize um how much kind of we'll, we'll take for granted about living in America. And sometimes we, sometimes we get a little down on ourselves. <laughs> and we'll, we'll talk bad about ourselves. And it, it you know, um, it, it is really nice to hear that, um, th- that opportunity is seen. I just hope that we can, and we'll talk a little bit throughout this conversation about some challenge that challenges that definitely still do present themselves to people who decide to come study here. But um, mm-hmm. it is nice to know that people appreciate us <laughs> absolutely yeah i mean canton symphony right i mean guys maestro gear uh, you know zimmerman and one of the greatest i learned so much wow. uh, from him through the years uh, under his baton and um and it, and that's just one of the examples you know um and actually lots of greatest concert masters of canton symphony now are leaders of several greatest orchestras that we have and so i mean gosh we would i would never have that kind of opportunity really um even in my my city um even though it's pretty cultured uh in my city it's a major city but it, it would not have that kind of caliber 
Mm. Wow. Gotcha. That's incredible. Yeah. So many Americans have a stereotype about East Asian culture and especially Chinese culture, that there is a cutthroat aspect about it. We have this, the image of the tiger mom, for oh, instance. Uh, there was a, a book written about right. that a while back by a, a woman who is a professor at Yale uh, and who happens to be of, of Chinese descent. Mm -hmm. Is this something that has a basis in reality or is it more of a construct that Americans have in their minds that is not, when it comes down to it, is not as true as everybody thinks? I actually do think that's a stereotype, um, in my opinion. Um, from my personal experience, I've met so many great Americans, um, Caucasian, that works harder. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like when I was at Interlochen, spe specifically, you know, there's a couple, my student mate, first, you know, they, after dinner, they go right to the basement and start practicing at 6.30 and come out at about 9.30. Um, just, you know, so I think in every culture, uh, doesn't matter where they come from, um, it's, they all try um, you know, to, to do the best, to do over the top and try to achieve um, mm -hmm. higher, to try to achieve what they, they can. Um, perhaps um, in Asia, it seems more <laughs> because I, I just, because I think it's just so many people there. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to work harder. Mm -hmm. um, and this sort of viewpoint, you know, you have to work hard and not to disappoint your family mm -hmm. because um, there's so little opportunities, but so many people that wants this, you know, that one job. Mm -hmm. So families would push everything that they can um, to provide for their children to, to have a better life. And then the children are going to work twice as hard um, and not to disappoint their family. Um, but also that's that's maybe not a good, <laughs> you know, good thing either because they forget, you know, why, why are they here, why they're doing it, mm -hmm. you know. So um, the rate, I think the rate of depression in, in Asia is much high, higher they just don't talk about it, but it's right. much higher than, than I think one might think. And this uh, is an interesting yeah. thing because for us here, yeah, uh, we all, we all have our various motivations for working hard, but at least from my experience, it mm -hmm. was never a fear of mine right. that I would disappoint my family. Mm -hmm. They wanted, my parents wanted me to exactly. pursue a dream, a, a life passion when I told them that I wanted to be a conductor. And, and they were, yeah, uh, you know, there always is the fear that and there still is a bit of a fear for me that, you know, this might not ultimately work out for me as a profession. Sure. 
but I've never worried that I would disappoint my family. So I, I knew that they would have my back no matter what. And I guess this might be a, a big difference. And as yes. you mentioned, because there are just so many more people in China. Yes. So, and again, you know, from my own experience, gosh, my mom had to borrow some money actually that to to in order to buy this plane ticket um for for me to get here um and you know just that idea i i just feel so in some ways i have to work hard i mean they've put up so much for me mm. i can't not just for me but i can't disappoint them i mean right. nobody told me to but they just sort of embedded it just our culture it's just you know generations i would say generational yeah. <laughs> thoughts that that just how we always been thinking yeah. um, it's in our blood <laughs> right, right. so but you know i hope um to appreciate the two cultures mm -hmm. at least for me the good from the east and great from the west mm -hmm. and that's that will be the you know the best yeah is it. yeah you're getting the best of, of both of them. And yeah, I, uh, I'm, I'm curious to, to know before we kind of change transition topics yeah. a little bit. Um, yes. You mentioned very at the very top that you didn't see your family again for 10 years, yes. um, which is I can't imagine that as someone who lives far away from my parents, but still in the same country. <laughs> um, yeah. I can't imagine 10 years. Um, how do you get to see them more now? I just, I think that's really yeah. my question is I hope you get to see them more now. Yeah, I'm actually, my parents live now in, in Cleveland. Uh, oh my oh, gosh. Wow. Yay. Yeah, I know. You know, it's, um, I, after I finished my doctorate, I feel, um, and I started working, of course, and I feel it's, it's my time to, to re to take care of them. Um, oh. to make sure that they're okay. Um, so yeah, so they moved to Cleveland. Um, so I can finally have, you know, be a sort of the sense of family together. And my brother also now lives in Toronto and, uh, wow. he's a interior design wow. um, designer. He has his own firm. So it's quite close, you know, oh. to, to come, uh, and we can go up easily. So yes, it's, it's been again i'm so grateful oh, wow. you know it turned out to be <laughs> yeah so oh. i know it's i i i feel so lucky that i finally have a family and they're right here and i can see them i talk to my mom every day oh. uh <laughs> if i don't call them in a couple of days they will call me <laughs> Is <everything> okay <laughs> oh. sounds just like so. my mom actually yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Oh, well, that I'm. But it, it's sweet. So I, I, I'm so grateful that they're here, especially during the last years, during the pandemic. I, I, yeah. gosh, I, I can't imagine being far apart right. and not knowing if they were they're okay or not. Yeah. So, wow. Right. Well, that that's that makes me feel very <laughs> happy. It makes me so happy. Thanks. So, speaking of the pandemic, um, the year has been really really difficult for all of us and especially us musicians who not only make a living performing but it is what we live for emotionally i mean it, it feeds exactly. our soul it's been exactly. 
terrible year for all of us. And a particularly terrible thing that came out of it was the use by some members of the American community of terms like the China virus. How has this affected you in your experience? Um, I have to say I was very scared in the very beginning when they start using that term more and more. Mm. Um, and I was mostly fear for my parents um, because, I mean, we we don't live together. So I, I was fear for their safety. Um, so for me personally, whenever I had to go out, um, I remember having a huge mask on and a hat. So that way they, I was just, maybe they won't be able to see me, you know, because I, I don't, I just don't know what others might say or might do to me. Um, but I do have to say, luckily, where I live uh, in Shaker Heights, uh, it's a very cultured um, environment and I feel very safe. But um, in Cleveland alone, I think, maybe depending on small pockets of places, but I have to say mostly I, I feel okay, but I do have several uh, girlfriends who live in the big metropolitan cities, um, New York for sure, DC, they really have um, been harassed um, badly. Um, so, but yes, for my parents, for sure, I told them to not go out. Uh, if you need anything, I will do it for you. Um, and just, if you have to go, just go quickly, <laughs> you know, try not to say too much um i i just didn't know what, what what people would do um because during that time everything was so turbulent mm -hmm. um and the, you know it's surprising to me uh, that you think about cities like new york and, and dc these are these hallowed melting pot <laughs> cities what? where immigrants have lived for since the, the beginning <laughs> America, yeah. yeah, and you would you would almost that you would expect that maybe in a a place smaller towns maybe sure. where just there wasn't as much exposure yeah. to different types of people, but in in these cities, it's always been that way. There's always been people from different backgrounds, so it, it's particularly surprising that that was yeah. happening in the bigger cities. Exactly, um, I. You know, I mean, I, I can't say too much because I, I, I don't want to quote wrong, but, you know, it's, again, it's just from the top. Um, right. You know, the, per the person we had in the government that just keeps saying those kind of, uh, you know, wrongfully mm -hmm. choice of words and it really embedded in people's head, um, you yeah. know, unfortunately. Um, and, um, I do have to say, you know, maybe in those kind of cities, you know, when, when you ask me, yes, we have all this 
Asian descents, you know, orchestras or, you know, who held top jobs. But actually, there are much, much more immigrants of uh, from uh, Asia um, that are under poverty. Mm-hmm. Yeah, especially in those kind of cities. Yeah, um, that that do lower, gosh, beyond lower wage right. jobs. Right. Um, and you you kind of bring up what I wanted to talk about next, which is um, a pretty complex issue that I think uh, I think a lot of people in America don't recognize um, how Asian Americans and Pacific Islanders specifically have been treated in America for a long time. I mean, people might have learned about his, this in history class, but I've met a lot of Americans who didn't learn about the Japanese internment camps during World War II that were in America, uh, that it was American government putting um, Japanese, but about a third of the people in the Japanese internment camps were not Japanese. They were Chinese and Korean, but they just were assumed to be. Um, and then there was, you know, high-profile prof- high murder it, murders in the 80s, and... Um, people started to use a term in America called the model minority to describe people of Asian descent in America because they could point to doctors and musicians and people who, like, look, they're succeeding at this really high level. They're a model minority. But you brought up the point, yes, a lot of Asian Americans are able to succeed at a very high level, but a majority of Asian Americans work in very, very low poverty uh, situations. Um, We think about you know the stereotypes of the nail salons and of yes. of massage parlors and we think about right. what happened in atlanta this past spring and yes, um exactly. it's a very complex issue that i think has kind of been swept under the rug for a very long time and terms right. like model minority have kind of made the picture look prettier of like look it's fine we don't need to talk about this but i think the past year and especially what happened in the spring has really brought to light that, no, we need to be talking about how uh, Asian Americans are living in in this country and how we can do better and how we can make it better for them. So what do you, how do we, and I, this, there's no answer to this, but how do we start working towards dismantling language like model minority and um, allowing people to use terms like China virus or Kung flu? What, how do we, move towards dismantling that type of language here in America? I, like you said, I don't, Yeah. there's no, uh, I, I just don't know a specific answer for that, yeah. except just be open-minded, uh, maybe educate yourself, mm-hmm. uh, or, um, you know, search for the right source. Yeah. You know, go to the right source for those type of um, uh, ideas, and um, and I think in some ways equality. I mean, <laughs> I I see now more and more how class is measured in this country. Mm. You know, it's very pretty clear. I mean, obviously we have this. <laughs> problem is you know our our colored communities and Mm -hmm. it's just i think it's the same with um asian communities the Mm -hmm. same um that we we don't talk about those we only see oh the doctors the musicians or Mm -hmm. the lawyers um 
but like you said, there are a majority of them um, that, that need help, uh, that needs to be understood, um, that needs to uh, maybe be more welcomed uh, together. Um, so I, I'm not sure what exactly, but except, right. like I said, um, to be more open-minded, yeah. really. Yeah. yeah, more education, more educated, um, you know, movies or what what's on the social media is not rea reality. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> not even close. Yeah. And so. sadly, it's a hard ask for a lot of people. Uh, you know, yeah. Rachel and I both are, are blessed to have gotten wonderful college educations and in the process... Right being right. exposed to many different people of many different backgrounds. But the reality is that here, it's not everybody is fortunate enough to have that experience and it creates this fear of the unknown, this fear of the other, that we are, are working in our small way on the podcast, we're trying to work to dismantle. But it's a hard, it, it's, we know it's a tall order. Yeah. Right, right. You know, I, I think it's just, it, you just have to start from, from your own, your own little, you know, community. Yeah. For example, this Friday, I'm going to do a, a little sort of a Zoom interview with the fifth graders from uh, Pennsylvania, this little town in Pennsylvania. The music teacher um, was one of my colleagues from years ago. Oh and uh she's talking about uh she wants to educate them those students uh fifth graders they are very sort of in this oral rural community in pennsylvania that very closed up with other cultures they don't know anything about outside really except right. their own community so she invited me to talk about china to talk about chinese instruments because they're talking about world music right now yeah. and so i'm going to bring my father's instruments and show them a little bit and oh, wow. you know just to um yeah because the more i think they can just learn from that young age hopefully and then maybe opened up their horizon yeah. just like how i had the opportunity when i was younger to open up the horizon of learn more about other cultures um coming out you know come to to america yeah so, yeah absolutely that is really really cool and you know this i mean you know america is made up of immigrants uh yes. from the very beginning um the only right. people who aren't immigrants are native americans and they've been here you right. know way longer than any of us but you know it's majority immigrants in this country what do you think that we can do in the music community, specifically the classical music community, to mm -hmm. support immigrants in the field and mm -hmm. even more specifically Asian immigrants in this field of classical music? Um, to, you know, collaborate maybe more mm -hmm. uh, with the, especially the local um, Asian communities. We have, um, at least in Cleveland, we have the uh, AAPI mm -hmm. um, community, and uh, also there is a Confucius Institute um, that is based uh, in Cleveland State University. Cool. Um, 
I have collaborated with them. So they're <clears throat> um, specifically, you know, uh, from China, Chinese government, mm -hmm. actually. Um, but there's uh, also, a I think there's a Japanese chapter community in Cleveland. So I think there's many opportunities perhaps to branch out uh, to collaborate mm -hmm. with uh, those types of communities uh, into um, programming music or collaborate with uh, their culture, you know, dancers or what, what, you know, there's a lot of, I think, ideas could grow from that mm -hmm. uh, or at least to start a conversation um, for yeah. possibilities. Yeah, yeah, <clears throat> definitely. So we talked about uh, Asian representation in the orchestras. It's, it's at, there is a lot of it currently, but um, what can we do to make Asians more welcome, both feel more welcome, both mm -hmm. on the stage as well as in the hall as yeah. audience members? Um, <clears throat> I, I actually think um just treat i i don't want to say us like we're third person or something <laughs> but uh treat um just like every other um musicians on stage um i think you know sometimes there might be a pre uh, notion of you know a small young asian music girl you know can produce this kind of stuff no don't mm. don't think that way you know just listen and hear and then embrace um no i don't think there should be any special uh treatment or i, I think we're all here hopefully for one goal is to make music together mm -hmm. uh, and and to deliver it uh, together the best uh, for our audience and same thing for the hall for the audiences as is, is i hope it's the same goal is to give them the best experience that they feel that the music that they're listening to is somewhat related or relatable yeah um that they don't feel like they're going to a you know foreign something foreign that they can't understand mm. um uh yeah so so to piggyback yeah, off yeah, of yeah. that we have talked uh with a, a number of members of the african-american community right. about the increased representation of black composers yes. played on orchestral seasons yes and would you say that it would benefit us to think about expanding this also to the increased performance of Asian composers to make members of the Asian community feel more welcome in the audience. I absolutely I think um, it, I, there are so many wonderful uh, professionals uh, in Asian uh, community um, that is absolutely underrepresented mm -hmm. um in programming um for orchestra music yeah uh, of course we have a few that we sort of know of tanduin chen yi mm -hmm. but there are a many more wonderful right. uh young composers um uprising 
of fabulous professionals. Um, absolutely, I totally agree. Um, yeah, like what I was saying. To yeah, to embrace the audience and just people together. Yeah. In, in as a whole. Yeah. I think that would be a wonderful idea. Um, yes. Kind of, you know, winding down a little bit as we um, look at our last few questions here, but. Uh, we've mentioned that you're a teacher, uh, you teach at CM, you teach at Interlock yes. and you teach at other festivals. Um, yes. what, as an educator, you know, when you're mm -hmm. looking at your, your students, what do you see in them that makes you excited for the future of this field? Ah, so we just had, um, uh, so, so-called a jury, um, mm -hmm. the piano department. And what makes me super happy is at least for my students, I I feel like they are they were making music, they were enjoying what they're doing, and they were playing from their heart. I can I can see it, I can feel it, and that's what I hope. Um, what they can go uh, beyond is to use music to heal for others, uh, mm. maybe themselves. Um, it doesn't have to be not everybody's gonna come out of the conservatory or university gonna be a concert you know concert pianist but um as long as they're using it um in the right way i you know to benefit themselves to benefit for the society their community um i think that's all positive uh, for me to think about yeah, that's what they. That's what I hope that they can take with them. Definitely, I love that. <laughs> now, as we wind down, you have been a part of the orchestral world as both a soloist and an orchestral pianist. Yes, yes. Where do you see the orchestral industry now, and where would you like to see it go over the next? 10 to 20 years um i would really love it's just to break down this barrier of um going to the orchestra concert is something that's only the elite mm. could do um i started close started with a colleague a friend of mine almost 10 years ago now yeah well 10 plus years ago classical revolution cleveland mm -hmm. so it's to break down the barrier of for classical music specifically for chamber music yeah you know? um but yes i i think especially some of my students um they never really had when they grow up when they're young they never had an opportunity to go to a or orchestra concert that would be something very special or you know mm -hmm. so i think that's what i hope to see that to you know embrace the community and uh the orchestra uh programming mm -hmm. um that maybe more outreach uh you know music into their their uh, uh you know daily lives that they may not have the chance have the chance to go to the hall um 
But if if we can bring that to the community more often, maybe they they feel, oh, wow, I never knew we had this.、Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that will be the greatest thing、uh, is to to really break down this barrier between、um, the upper class and you know to go to concerts. That's something that's the upper classmen do. Yeah.、Um, yeah. The privileged, <laughs> so no, it's it's music for all, right? It's music for all, and I and I you know I think the big goal of the podcast and the conversations that we're trying to have is that you know the podcast becomes obsolete. We don't need this anymore, and that music、mm-hmm. is just for all.、Um, mm-hmm. And you know we've talked a lot today about how much your parents sacrificed to let you live this, and so that music could be for you and. How many、sure. people strive to do the same by becoming immigrants to this country and working、yeah. really hard, and the people from America who are working really hard, and how everyone within the classical music world is striving to just make music. And I love how you put it so beautifully when you know looking at your students. Of the ultimate goal for you is that they make music and that they、yeah. do it to heal, even if they never you know become a famous concert pianist. They're just playing to play. So. The podcast is called "Orchestrating Change," so that hopefully we can get to there. So,、mm-hmm. what do you think is maybe the most important thing right now that we need to do in order to orchestrate this change, so that we can, in fact, have music for everyone? Wow, that's a very big <laughs> question. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs>、uh, my, I, I mean, that could be a thesis right there. <laughs> right? Yeah. Okay. Oh <laughs>、uh, gosh, you know. Again, I can only speak from my own point of view and my own experience. Is、uh, for me, I will do all my best to bring more music. Um,、uh, yeah, to bring more people into music and bring bring more music to the people.、Yeah. Uh, that's my goal.、Um, that's why you know to kind of going. Back, what Matthew said, you know, this past pandemic was hit hardest to, for musicians, especially for us live, you know, performance、uh, musicians that we couldn't do that.、Um, I, I felt sort of a huge emptiness.、Mm. I, I mean, luckily I was still able to teach、uh, to make a living. <laughs> Um, and very grateful for that than some of my other colleagues.、Um, but yeah, I didn't have many concerts at all. Well, and doing the you know virtual re- recital, it's never the same.、Mm-hmm. I want to hear. I now I feel like I want to hear their breathing. I want to hear their coughing. <laughs> <laughs> like was, I, I want to hear that.、Uh, That during you know the 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 quiet moment that I do in a slow movement of a Beethoven something, that I just hear nothingness. But I don't feel that when I do virtual because it's just me and the microphone.、Mm-hmm. Um, I just you know、uh, it, it's so. And I hear the same thing from people who usually go to live performances that they miss watching people and hear them, you know. Nodding or、uh, you know breathing、mm-hmm. uh, before a beat, they 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 want to see that、uh, emotion from the performers. It's not the same watching on the screen. So I hear that from both ways, and 
so yeah, I think, um, you know, the music is, it's wonderful no matter what type of it, but it's just, we have to keep it, keep it going, bring people together. I think music is the, the most powerful tool um, to bring people together sometimes. Um, even more um, to the point than than the words, um, because music can really touches you, and and hits you just at the right spot. <laughs> um, and uh, so yeah, I I hope is to to bring both sides together more and more. I think that would be the the greatest uh, in the upcoming year, especially. So yeah. <laughs> Shui Wang, it has been an absolute pleasure to speak with you this afternoon. Thank you so much for being with us. Thank you both. You were wonderful and um, allow me, you know, to uh, telling my story, my background uh, to your audience and and just spread the love of music. So it's wonderful. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Shuai Wang, renowned pianist, professor at the Cleveland Institute of Music, and teacher at the Interlochen Arts Camp. Orchestrating Change is a production of the Canton Symphony Orchestra. Our theme music was composed by Eric Gould and performed by Derek Snyder and Tim Adams. Our audio engineer is Nathan Maslick. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next time.